If you would please open your Bibles, we'll be reading from Joshua, chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. That is Joshua, chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and they hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. The title of the sermon this morning is God expects His people to fully rely on Him. I believe that mindset is timely. I believe it's needed. No matter the place, the date, or the culture in which someone may find themselves. As we consider the uh, results and come to understand exactly what fully relying upon, upon God means, we come to know that there is a lot to that small statement. There's a lot more than just simply meets the eye. To rely on God is more than just believing in His existence that He is the ruler of the universe. In fact, it is very close akin to believing in God. No one will rely upon something in which they do not believe. And when we understand the idea of believing in God, it entails much more than just simply a mental assent that God does exist. And so when we rely upon God, it means that we rely upon Him in a a very special way outside of the idea that He is just merely in control of things. Now to start with, let us be reminded exactly what those terms mean. The word fully means entire or wholly, completely. When we consider something in its entirety or something's whole substance, We consider its completeness. We consider every aspect of that entity or that being. For instance, when Paul said, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The word all means all forms. Uh, All forms of uh, decletion. All. Any, every, and whole. There is no aspect of all spiritual blessings that exist outside of Christ. If it is a spiritual blessing, it exists only in Christ. There are no partial blessings outside of Christ. All spiritual blessings exist in Christ. So we understand fully what fully means. Now this word rely means to to depend confidently. To put trust in. Now Paul made a statement to Timothy. He said this, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, 
For I know whom I have believed, 2 Timothy 1.12. He goes on to say, And am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now this word believed carries with it the idea of to have faith, to entrust, and to put trust in, and to trust with. So, knowing that, when we fully determine to rely upon God, what we're saying is that we completely in every aspect wholly trust in Him to do the things He said He would do and to bless the obedience that we uh, represent toward Him. Now, we've been blessed with a great many examples throughout the Bible where people have fully relied and trusted in God. I think we can learn some very important lessons when we pay attention to those examples and those people. The text under consideration this morning is Joshua chapter 6. This is a very well-known passage of Scripture where an Israelite, Joshua leading the Israelites, were tasked with the conquest of Jericho. They were to go in and, and to take this fully guarded city Now, our goal today is to make a present-day application. If we can't make some application to what Joshua and the Israelites did, I don't know that that account would have been recorded for us or preserved for us. So I think for certain we can make an application of that. And as we do that, I want us to begin with something that is very common to people today, which was very common to people within this immediate context. At times in our lives, we will face a problem. That's our first point. We will face a problem. There are problems in the world. And when we look at Joshua, and we look at Israel, and we look at Jericho, we have to determine what was the problem. Well, I think we have to do that in our own lives, don't we? What's the problem? Jericho may be the oldest city that has been continuously inhabited still in existence today. Some uh, think maybe Damascus. I tend to believe maybe Jericho is the oldest city continuously inhabited, just simply based upon biblical history. And in Joshua's day, it was surrounded by two massive walls. The remains of those walls have been found and they have been studied. And the outer wall was six feet thick. It was 20 feet tall. Separated by 15 feet was the inner wall that was 12 feet thick and 30 feet tall. So the inner wall was larger than the outer wall. It was larger, it was thicker, it was taller. Now this 15 feet in between these two walls was a guarded walkway, and upon that 15 feet, people had built homes. They lived on the wall. When we read about Rahab, she had a home built on that particular part of the wall. And so when the walls fell down, her home was secured and preserved because she had been obedient and did what God wanted her to do. Now the problem Israel faced was they had this well-fortified city to conquer. And that's a big problem. You have a a group of people who had never uh, done anything like that and they had some very formidable things standing in their way. So what should they have done? Let's go back in history just a little bit and see what they did the first time around. 38 years prior to uh, Joshua and Israel standing uh, 
uh, on the banks of the Jordan River, ready to go in and, and take the city of Jericho, they stood on the precipice of going into the promised land. You recall Moses sent in 12 spies to, to look at the area, to find out what was going on, what kind of a problem might exist in different areas, what kind of forces they may have to face. And so the 12 spies came back, and two of those spies, Joshua, who's leading Israel at the time of our context, and Caleb, they came back and said, let's go in and take the land, we can do it. But ten of the spies said, we can't take the land. The land is beyond our possession because the people who inhabit the land are giants. We look like grasshoppers in their very sight. You recall as they went out and checked out the land, they brought back some things from the land, and they brought back a cluster of grapes that they had to carry between two men on a rod. That's a huge cluster of grapes, isn't it? It truly was a land that flowed with milk and honey. But there were giants in the land. They were afraid, so they chose not to do it. But is it wrong to be afraid? It's not wrong to be afraid. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is understanding that I overcome my fear even though I am afraid to do that which I am supposed to do. As a result, the Israelites were sent back into the wilderness until all of the unfaithful died, those who were 20 and above, until they perished in the wilderness. And then 38 years later, they find themselves again ready to go in and take the the land. Now, before we can begin to conquer our own Jericho, as we look in this life, we have to ascertain what's the problem. Sometimes we have financial problems. Sometimes we have problems in our relationships. Sometimes we have problems with sin in general. And we need to be able to to address those problems and understand and know what those problems are. That's what Joshua had to do. Joshua and Israel, they had to address, they had to understand what those problems were. And we need to be able to look at that problem and to do something with that problem, not like the Israelites did 38 years prior. They simply turned around and said, we can't do it. And then when they saw that they were going to be punished for that, they said, oh, we'll go in and do it. Moses said, no, it's too late, don't go. And when they attempted it, they were punished for that. But where do we go when we see those problems? We run from the problem. We know what the problem is. Israel knew what the problem was. But the question I think next is, where do we go for the answer? Well, what did Israel do? Israel understood what it was, and they knew where to go to get the necessary help. Unlike 38 years prior, where they depended upon themselves, and they looked at the the opponents who were living in the land of Canaan, and they said, they're giants, we can't even begin to face them in battle. They were relying upon themselves. Now we go ahead 38 years, and Joshua is standing, and I don't think it's any kind of a coincidence or accident that he is leading Israel now at this point, after he was one of the two faithful spies who wanted to go in and take the land. They relied upon God. That's where they went. They went to God. And so when we face the problems of this life, we need to turn to God. We need to find out what God says. What does He want us to do? That doesn't mean we're not going to have any more financial troubles in this life. That doesn't mean that problems are not going to arise as we live throughout this world. It doesn't even mean that we'll find an answer to the problem at the present. 
It may be beyond our control. But what we do understand is as we live faithfully in this life, the answer lies in the next life. They were going to go into the promised land, and we have been promised heaven for those who will live the way God wants us to live. We need to understand that God will not automatically take the problem away from us. He didn't do that with Joshua and the Israelites, did he? He didn't go in and all of a sudden there was no more walls around Jericho. There were no more people in the land of Canaan. They had to go in and they had to take that land, though it was given to them. He didn't take the problem away. He told them how to address the problem. And what he did do, though, was he expected them to be faithful. He expected them to rely upon Him and to do what He said and to believe what He said He would do. I think that is the application when it comes to our problems today. Let's rely upon God. doesn't mean the problem's going to vanish. Sometimes they'll go away if we do the proper things. But sometimes they don't. Can God's providence take care of us in times of need? Absolutely, I believe in the providence of God. But that doesn't mean all problems will be taken away. Does that mean that good people will never suffer in this life? That absolutely does not mean that good people will not suffer in this life. In fact, the Christ made a statement, Matthew 10:22, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. That doesn't sound like a, like a, a life of, of roses and rainbows constantly, does it? That sounds like a life that can be very difficult at times. That sounds like a life that may be such that we do not want it to be that way at times. But if we endure to the end, we can have that life that God has promised. What it does mean is through prayer and providence and hard work, we can overcome many of the difficulties in this life. And that's what God expects. He expects us to come before the throne boldly, Peter said to ask God with confidence that He will deliver the things that He's promised. And more importantly, if we remain faithful through the trials that we face, we'll have a home in heaven. Israel had a problem. They knew what it was. They knew where to go to find the answer to the problem. And Joshua fully relied upon God because he knew God would keep His promise. That's our second point. As Joshua and those men stood uh, before the great walls of Jericho, they were comforted. And someone says, well, how in the world can they be comforted knowing they're about to go into battle? Well, God promised them victory. And because He promised them victory, He gave them the conclusion before it ever began. He said, I've given into your hands the city. The city is yours. Now all you have to do is just reach out and take it. That meant they did have to go into battle. They did have to do the things that God asked them to do. But He gave them the city. They saw the end from the beginning. But God always sees the end from the beginning, doesn't He? He knows what's going to happen before it ever happens. When we read the Revelation, He saw the end from the beginning. He warned them. He encouraged them. Continue and be faithful. And I'll give you a crown of righteousness no matter what, Revelation 2, 10. But how different are we today from Joshua and the people of Israel? 
We've been given the conclusion. We know what that is. We've been promised something. Jesus warned of the persecutions of this world, the temptations of this world, and through Paul, he also gave us comfort in knowing, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that whatever trial or temptation comes our way, there will be a way of escape. There will be a way to be victorious. We've been promised the victory. All we have to do is be faithful. All we have to do is is become Christians in Christ's church and do the things that He's asked us to do. That promise wasn't peculiar to Joshua. It's not peculiar to us. Through the millennia, God has always promised victory to the faithful. He's always promised victory to a battle well fought. And He continues to do that today. Again, we go back to the time of those who were living under the reign of Domitian. God promised them victory, but He didn't promise none of them would lose their that would not lose their lives. Many of them would lose their lives. He said, "They'll be you'll be murdered, you'll be thrown in prison for my name's sake." But endure to the end. He's repeating what He said in Matthew chapter ten. Some of those people were not going to physically prevail over their enemies, but they would spiritually prevail over Satan because they had a home in heaven waiting for them. And those people who lost their lives during that terrorist reign of Domitian wouldn't trade places with any of us today. Joshua was comforted because of the promise that God gave him. He and Israel knew they could go into that city. They were well able to take it. And because of that, he and the nation fought with confidence. We can do that today. We can fight with confidence. God promised Joshua and he promised us. He promised us that our weapons will be powerful through Him if we wield them correctly. Notice what Paul told those in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 10 beginning with verse 4. He said, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Joshua understood that, didn't he? He understood in the words of Paul. Obviously, he he lived before Paul. But he knew that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Joshua understood that he was given the promise. He had comfort. He fought with confidence. The only thing preventing Joshua and preventing us today from being victorious in Christ is our own faith. You remember what Paul said about his faith, Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And Joshua understood that God would strengthen him. He would keep his promises. All those things give God's people confidence in the battle. Confidence in His promises that He will keep and do what He said He would do. I think there's something else we need to understand when we engage in the battle of which Paul spoke and Christ warned we would. We're going to engage in, in, in a battle in this world, a spiritual warfare, and we're going to be tasked with maintaining our purity and maintaining our faith. And there's going to be a whole host of people in the world who are going to tell us how foolish we are. How foolish we are that we're restricting ourselves in such a way. 
I think that uh, Paul addressed that. He understood that. Speaking to the Corinthians, he made a statement, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 18 through 24. We won't read the whole thing. He said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Those in the world said the preaching of the gospel was foolishness. They knew better. They knew the way to fulfillment as a, as a person in this world. And they said God was not that way. And Paul said that God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest. Of course, he didn't intend in any way that God was foolish. He was making a comparison. Those who are foolish look at God as foolish. Those who are wise understand that the gospel is the power of God. And it is the power of God unto salvation, Paul told those who were living in Rome. Now can you imagine what the people inside of Jericho were thinking? We're talking about the world looking at at the lifestyle of the Christian and saying, boy, you're foolish, look what what you're missing out on, look what you're not imbibing in this life. Can you imagine those people standing on that uh, inner wall, that 15 space, having those ladders looking over, wondering what was going on, and as the the priests and the Levites come out, and they're following that Ark of the Covenant, and they have those horns, and they're thinking, are these the warriors we heard about? How do you conquer a, a city by walking around the city? The city was about a, a seven-acre square, seven square acres. And so they're marching around the city, and they do that once. They come back the next day, and they do it a second time. And this has been going on for about a week. And, and I can just imagine the laughing that's going on from those city walls. And then on that seventh day, they march around that wall seven times. They blow the trumpet, they let out a great shout of God, and then the laughing ends. The walls fall down, and they go in, and they take the city. Israel had a problem, they were given a promise, and because they fully relied upon God, they did prevail. Now, why was it they were able to prevail? Because they were willing to fight. They were willing to fight. Isn't that the first thing needed? Before we can win, don't we have to be willing to fight? Before we can gain something, do we not first want, uh, need to want to have it? We have to have that sense of uh, obligation to ourselves and to our children to train them and to those that we love and to, to those people that we know and that we interact with on a daily basis to allowed to help them to understand that we have to be willing to fight for God. We have to be willing to put ourselves in second place and do those things that He's asked us to do. God expects His people to stand up and to fight the good fight of faith. He expects His people to rely fully, wholly, completely upon Him, to completely trust in Him. Paul described his willingness to fight to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 6, he said, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He said, I fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all who also love his appearing. Joshua and Israel prevailed because they were willing to fight for what God had given them. And they prevailed also because they had the faith to believe in God that He would do what He said He would do. Why was Israel victorious? They were victorious because they had the Word of God and they had faith in it. Joshua 6, 2-6. They knew God and they had faith in Him. Joshua 6, 8-20. They acted in faith. They did it God's way. And He gave them the victory. God expects people of this world to fully rely upon Him. He's always expected that. God has always given man a plan of salvation from the patriarchal period of time through the law of Moses and even during the Christian age. People have always been saved by grace through faith. Every single time. The manner in which that was expressed, God has changed that over three dispensations. The patriarchal uh, law demanded that the head of the family offered sacrifice. We see Job doing that every day when he woke in the morning, Job chapter 1. The law of Moses demanded that the priest would offer sacrifice and a whole host of other things that that the people needed to do. We come into the Christian dispensation and we're still saved by grace through faith, Paul said. That faith is demonstrated through our obedience and then by grace God saves us. Faith. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. Hebrews eleven six. God demands that everyone repent of past sins. That means that we change our lifestyles. We change our way of thinking. We change who we are and we want to turn to God and be what He wants us to be. God has demanded that we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confession unto salvation, Romans 10.10. He demands that we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of sin so that those sins can be washed away, Uh, Acts 22, verse 16, in the same way that Saul of Tarsus had his sins washed away. Living faithfully just as Paul said he did, fighting the good fight, keeping the course, gaining the crown. That's Grace through faith, and faith is expressed through obedience. Hebrews chapter 11, every single one of those people mentioned expressed their faith through obedience, and they were saved by grace. I think we can make the absolute same application today that Joshua made then. Have faith in what God says. Follow His instructions. Do the things He said to do. Act in faith and do it God's way. That's simple, isn't it? The writer of Hebrews speaks of the faith of Jericho and Israel. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Hebrews 11, verse 30. Like Israel, we need to identify the problem. We need to act accordingly after having done that. I don't believe that there is a better uh, application of what James said in James 2, 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone, than of Joshua, Israel, and Jericho. The walls fell, but the walls fell after obedience to what God told them to do. God caused the walls to fall. Nothing that 
Israel did made those walls fall down outside of being obedient to what God asked them to do. Won't you fully rely on God for salvation today as we stand and as we sing?